0: What if you had a guide who could tell you how to bridge a gap between who you are today and who you're destined to be? What if each week you could hear a story of someone who has tried and succeeded, or perhaps tried and failed, but learned something in the process? Limitless Spirit is a weekly podcast where host Helen Todd interviews guests about topics and personal stories on defining life's purpose, pursuing personal growth, and developing a deeper faith in Christ. Thinking about loving one's neighbor and the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan does not pull out his laptop and do an Excel spreadsheet to try to figure out, okay, what does justice require? And when Jesus says who was a neighbor to the man who was beset by robbers, what's the one who had mercy on him? And so mercy should be uh, a beautiful component of a Christian's response to a broken world.
1: Welcome to the Limitless Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Todd, and we're currently in the middle of the That's Kingdom series. We're digging deeper into the subject of the Kingdom of God and how do we fit into it and relate to it. In today's episode, we talk about justice. We live in an imperfect world where the kingdom of God is present yet hidden. There is injustice all around us. I did not record for a couple of weeks because I was in the Republic of Georgia on a mission trip. Republic of Georgia is uh, south of Russia, and uh, I was doing an outreach among the Kurdish minority group. And an interesting story happened to me there. Uh, The beginning of this story happened actually a few years ago. I got hustled by a group of beggars in a touristy spot in Tbilisi, the capital of the Republic of Georgia. So um, I was with a group of friends and a, a young woman. She was short and stocky with a very distinctive face. And she had a group of kids around her. And there was there were too many of them to be all her own kids and so they surrounded me and asked for money in a very demanding way and they were grabbing my arms and pulling my clothes and when i didn't give them money the woman became very angry and aggressive and the kids surrounded me and blocked my way and um they really looked more like an organized gang rather than a down-on-their-luck family trying to survive, and I felt very violated, and I even wondered if I should have turned them over to the police. Now, fast forward to last week, Uh, so I'm again in Tbilisi, Republic of Georgia, and we're invited to minister um, in a settlement for Kurdish refugees from Azerbaijan. Uh, so some of them, uh, they lived in Azerbaijan and uh, they got caught in the military military conflict between Azerbaijan and Armenia. And so they had to flee um, as refugees. But others, they came to Georgia um, as illegal immigrants, just hoping for a better life. They were not involved in any conflict. They are living uh, there as illegal immigrants and they make their living begging. And so Uh, the local pastor who led our team there explained to them that they're literally professional beggars. And so at that point, I remembered that experience that I had. um, And so I was worried actually for our team's safety at some point. So when we got there, it was a very cold winter day and, and the settlement was on the edge of town. And so uh, it was really very rough living conditions, makeshift huts made of plywood and sheets of metal. And uh, the people were dressed so light for the temperatures. And uh, But the kids were very active and they were ready to have fun and uh, joined our games and songs. And the adults, they stood around and they watched and smiled. And so I struck a conversation with a woman. She kind of stood to the side and she told me that she was one of the new converts, that she accepted Jesus recently and she was sharing with me how much he meant to her. So then the sun started setting down, and the temperatures dropped, and it became so cold. And so the refugees graciously invited us into their homes. And uh, some of them served us hot tea and even candy and made fire for us. And we sat with them on the floor, and they shared their stories with us. We prayed for them. It was such a beautiful time. Well, at the end... We announced that we will do the distribution of groceries and warm supplies that we brought for them. And so we divided all these supplies into individual bags, and there was one bag per family. Well, that's when the chaos began, They crowded the van and they were reaching for bags and some of them were grabbing more than one bag and in the dim light, it was impossible to see who got what. And so then I noticed that the woman to whom I had talked earlier, she was just standing aside and she was waiting patiently for her turn. And so I took one bag to her and she thanked me and she smiled. And so that was the end of it. It wasn't until several days later that I realized it was her. I remember that face, it just sort of popped up in my memory, the large round face and her eyes. And and I remember her eyes were flashing with anger, those eyes when I refused her money. And so now she was a different person. And I was extremely happy that few years ago, I did not attempt to seek justice for myself. God performed his own justice, and it was perfect. So how do we seek and defend justice in this imperfect world? For today's conversation, I invited Dr. Jay Bruce. Jay is a professor of philosophy at John Brown University and the founder uh, and director of the Center for Faith and Flourishing. He writes and lectures on philosophy, theology, politics, and economics, and recently, he wrote an article called Justice and Only Justice. So in this episode, we talk about the definition of justice, why bad things happen to good people, and how we can pursue justice as Christians. Hello, Jay. Welcome to the Limitless Spirit podcast. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing very well. Thank you.
1: You were uh, my son, Philip's professor at John Brown University. He talked about you a lot. You were one of his favorites. Let's talk about justice as a term. What is justice?
0: So justice is giving someone, his or her, do. And justice, as you you say, quite rightly, follows from who God is and what he expects of and requires of his creation. It's built into the natural order of things. And we see uh, justice commanded all throughout the Old Testament. And one of the nice things about justice is that we are called to act justly as the Lord acts justly. And I love the uh, King James version of Deuteronomy sixteen nineteen, which commands judge is not to pervert justice by showing partiality or accepting a bribe. It says thou shalt not respect persons. What that means is that when you administer justice, when the Lord administers justice, he doesn't say, well, this person is a, a sinner, but is American <laughs> or that, that person is poor or rich and so has lesser or greater right to some kind of special consideration. And this ties in directly with the cross of Christ. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, he gives in Romans 1 through 3 this clear description of how all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so what he's doing is he's saying, God doesn't respect persons. God doesn't say, oh, this is a Gentile who has never heard the Torah, the Old Testament read. No, 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 Paul says he has the word, he has uh, God's law written on his heart in Romans 2. You know, the, the, the law of God's written on his heart. Then, oh, what about the Jew? Well, the Jew has uh, received all of the commandments of God, and they've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which is why... God must punish sin. When we get to Romans 8, and there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, it's appropriate for us to say, well, where is the righteous anger of God against all sinners gone? And we have that answer in Romans 3. It's fallen on Jesus. Christ was punished in my place, so I'm not punished but set free. And it's interesting, the New International Version, I like it. I'm an ESV guy, but I like the NIV translation of this part of Romans 3, where Christ is put forward as the sacrifice for sins, and speaking of God, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ Jesus. So from the Old Testament, when God is giving in Exodus all the commands about this is how you should judge, all the way through the New Testament, when Paul is talking about the doctrine of the atonement, how God overcomes the gap caused by sin between him and his creation, there is this concern of impartiality and judgment. And that's why salvation can be a free gift, because Christ did the work to satisfy God's justice so that I can be offered salvation.
1: So, you know, one of the typical questions that a Non-believer asks someone who wants to introduce them or try attempts to introduce them to Christian faith is if God is so good if God is so just why do bad things happen to good people? For those of us who believe in God, it is uh, very easy to accept God's justice as the foundation for true justice, but. How do we mitigate that with someone who is not a believer in God?:
0: I'd say there are two concerns here. The first is to make clear that God is not the author of sin. So uh, wicked people do horrible things. So just to make sure, make clear that it's a question not of God doing evil. But narrowing the focus of, well, why does God permit evil? It's not as, I and mean, I'm not speaking in any way glibly whatsoever, but the person who murdered so and so is the person who's responsible for the murder. You know, God's not responsible, just as I'm not responsible for somebody else stealing your bicycle. <laughs> that, you know, like it's a question of agency. So God's not the author of sin. Why does God permit? sin. Well, the typical, the the standard response is that God wants us to have some kind of free will whereby we can freely choose him. And that that free will would not, if we were not given that free will that we could misuse, then we would not have the free will to, to choose him. Regardless, I think that we should emphasize that This is where justice comes in and punishment. Martin Luther King loved to quote this line, which was, The arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. I would ask the person, do you think it bends towards justice? And if the answer is yes, then why? Well, it's because even if the person who does wickedness is scot-free in this life, is never caught, God is a just God and will punish that person in hell. I was doing Christian work uh, with the church in London, and I remember a minister, who was very posh, surprised me in his bluntness when he he told me that there was a Muslim girl who wanted to go to uh, a Bible study and uh, learn about Jesus, and she stopped going, and he asked why, and she said, well... My brothers told me that if I went back to church, they would beat me. And he paused and he said, they are on the express train to hell. And so the question is, do bad things happen? And if they're not caught by humans and punished by humans in this life, do those people just get away with it? And the Christian answer is no. God punishes people in the life to come. The wicked are punished. And so I think it's a great comfort to those who have been uh, severely mistreated that uh, they can say, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. uh, So I can stand back and wait for God's vengeance. One last thing is, of course, that the greatest human evil ever perpetrated, was the crucifixion of the Son of God. So the greatest wickedness is when a man who never did any wrong, his close companion Peter said of Jesus, he never sinned. A close companion, that was his testimony. And yet Jesus was crucified between two thieves. And in Acts chapter 2, when speaking about that, Peter marvels how God is so powerful that he uses the wickedness of men even when acting against them to accomplish his purposes. So I think that there's a call to trust there and to marvel at God's not asking Christians to really suffer in this life when Jesus was, you know, born in a palace and coronated as king in the temple in Jerusalem. No, he was born to peasant parents, to poor parents. And he had a hard life, and then he was crucified, uh, and that's that's the one whom Christians follow because he was he was raised again.
1: Uh very true, and I completely agree with you. So um, we have established that the present world is full of sin, and therefore there is injustice everywhere, and uh, yet God calls us to seek justice, uh, to perform justice. So what does it look like for us uh, being in such an imperfect world to fulfill that commandment?
0: That is an excellent question. It admits of near infinite variation because it depends upon one's uh, position, one's influence. Obviously, if one holds any kind of public office or even an office in uh, a private corporation or at a university Uh, or at a church, then the goal should be to judge with impartial justice, not to respect persons. And so I think that being mindful of how we can judge impartially is important for everyday life. I also think that another component is, obviously, when there are injustices, if people are judged by respecting who they are, then then we should speak against it then we should act against it we should be motivated and and be willing to say the the awkward thing i also want to say that we shouldn't be so focused on justice that we neglect other aspects of moral decision making so it could be that justice does not require me to do a particular activity but nevertheless, God may put it on my heart that we should start a homeless ministry or we should be really engaged in a – I'm just kind of making this up – and a recycling program or whatever. Like, And we don't have to paint that as something that justice requires because I think the world wants to speak merely and only in the language of justice. Because if something is a question of justice, you can exert coercive power over people. This is justice, therefore, we're going to put you in jail if you don't do this, etc. Whereas Christians, I think we should have a broader conception where we can say, okay, justice, narrowly defined, understood as impartiality, may not speak to this issue, but this woman in the church is hungry, and we we have to feed her. We have to make sure she's okay. So that's where I would say, act with justice, but understand that that action may be broader, but don't kind of muddy the waters of what justice is in order to defend your position. Love ought to be a, a major motivator for the church.
1: So let's uh, go back to your essay. And you talk in your essay about different types of justice, right, that we, we hardly are focusing anymore on just justice we have adjectives attached to it and we we talk about social justice and racial justice let's talk about social justice it's a very um, difficult subject from the Christian perspective there are very opposing views on that subject so w- what what are your thoughts on that
0: so if somebody uses the phrase social justice the first, Question I think to ask is, what do you mean by social justice? It, I'm reminded of uh, Aristotle. He says, everybody thinks that uh, we act for happiness, but the real question is, what do people mean by happiness, right? Is it your flourishing? Is it some uh, temporary buzz of pleasure? <laughs> so, what do you mean by social justice? And so sometimes people will just mean, well, by social justice, I think the law should be impartially applied in society. And so that then is really, in my mind, just justice simpliciter. It's justice, only justice, but you're just talking about justice in the culture at large. I don't know if it was uh, Michael Novak or somebody else who said, sometimes when people say social justice, they actually the subtitle reads, there should be a law against that, (laughs) right? They're just, it's just a slogan to say, I don't like that and we should make that illegal or I don't like that and we should force people to do this. And so you have justice as fairness of John Rawls, I think is a classic instance of social justice. And there Rawls wants to say that what we have to equalize is our prospects, That people with the same talents and ambitions should have the same life prospects. Well, that's where things get complicated for the Christian, in my mind, because a Christian's response to what Rawls calls arbitrariness of nature is uh, the doctrine of providence. So God has given me the parents that he's given me uh, with the resources that they have. So that I could do things that if I'd had the same talents and ambitions, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to do what I've done. Conversely, if my parents had been, you know, richer than they are, I could have had all sorts of other life prospects. So I, I know people who have been raised in poorer conditions, and I know people who have been raised in richer conditions. And as a Christian, I don't think the fact that I was born to a particular set of parents is a source of injustice or a possible source of injustice. So there, I, I just say well, we just need to trust in the Lord. And I think interestingly, the social justice, these kinds of social justice questions are, are largely questions that rich people ask. It's not. I mean, if you're in poorest Africa or West Virginia. I think where people are scraping two nickels together, I actually think that they are hoping that things will get better and trying to make a life for themselves, as opposed to you know cursing their their bad luck. They're just trying to survive. And then I think Christians in those cultures are really trusting in in God's providence, and they may work themselves up to a place where they have a steady job and can provide for their families in a way that the average American would go, that's, you know, poverty, but they're actually rejoicing in the Lord that they're, that God is providing for them. So I do think that this equalizing justice, if if that's what people mean by social justice, that creates real problems for, for Christians.
1: So would you call socialism equalizing justice?
0: Yeah, it would be the uh the kind of uh almost the uh the worst kind of equalizing justice.
1: Well, because when you were uh, saying that these questions about social justice are mostly asked by the rich people, I think and you probably know that when um socialism started developing in Russia in the I don't know, it was late 19th century, I suppose. It not developing among the working class it was developing among the intelligentsia and and the and the
0: yes, right. rich
1: people they're the ones who came up with these ideas and initiated the revolution so that's that's kind of a interesting parallel there and of course you know uh, soviet union is a great example of how it really doesn't work very well or nor does it solve any problems. And so, but at the same time, you know, we we have this natural unless a person is completely morally deficient, we have this natural desire to see justice performed, to seek justice. And, you know, there are scriptures that support it where we're told to uh, defend the orphan and defend the widow, you know, and and, um, help the oppressed one to be freed from the oppressor. So there are scriptures that support the idea that we should be actively involved in uh, seeking justice. But like you mentioned, you know, unequal circumstances sometimes a part of God's providence and, 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 you know, God's plan for that person's life. So where is that fine line then? Um, You know, when do we try to free the oppressed person from the oppressor or or say, okay, well, maybe this is God's plan for the oppressed person's life, and God is developing character in this person. At what you know, at what point do we intervene, and at what point do we just let you know God's plan take its course?
0: Yeah. So the the idea of oppressed and oppressor, I think we we should be uh, you know careful. So I, I think of uh, the um, cruel and horrible situation in in North Korea. You've got a you know dictator with a bunch of oppressed people. So that that would be a so then that's a kind of military intervention question. Uh, but if you're talking about you know a, a woman who's being uh, trafficked for sex, then then that dem- justice demands uh, swift and uh, complete rescue. Sometimes though, when people talk about oppressed and oppressor. Um, they're saying that they don't they don't like being a cashier at at Hobby Lobby or Walmart or whatever and And that's where I think that that it stretches the it, it breaks open the word you know, like the the word oppressed and oppressor can 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 be stretched only too much before they they break. But I, I do think that you know there's something to be said for well, okay, you don't like your job. How can we come alongside you and and help you? And th- and that's where I think that there are people in the church who are incredibly well equipped to take younger men and women under their wing and to say, look, I know you don't like your, I, I know that you, the situation's tough. I know that things are difficult, but let's try to to help you on uh, a trajectory that that can be. Really uh, beneficial for you, but we have to be careful here. I think one of the interesting things, and why even though I'm uh, justice is a big hobby horse of mine, I also want to emphasize the limitations of justice. What we have now is the state acts to help people for the sake of justice, and the problem with that is manifold. But one of the things that that is, I think most Painful from a Christian perspective is that it promotes a sense of alienation. If I'm helping somebody in my church who is really struggling, then I know all of this, or many, if not all, of the salient features of his or her situation. I'm getting my hands dirty. I am really trying to help the person. But if I, and it's from love, it's from wanting the person to grow in Christ. Wanting the and, and or just and, and just a better life, you know. So and so hates his job. Let's try to come alongside him and help him. But if it's a, a state functionary who at a distance is saying, you know, here here's your check, then not only is it a demotivator for the the noble um, task of working and getting the satisfaction of choosing your own adventure in life. But it also I think is depressing and demoralizing because you're it's like instead of having a deacon in your church call to check up on you, somebody who's loving you and praying for you, it's like you have the the telephone company calling you <laughs> and asking you to fill out all these forms and you know, are, and so that that's where I would say um the 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 motivation for helping people is a good motivation. We we can all agree. And sometimes I hear Christians speak as though they don't want to help the poor, which is, is, is horrible. Uh, the, the question that we all have to help the poor, the question is how do we do it? And I think that there is a quote from John Calvin, uh, where Calvin actually says the rich should start jobs. They, they should, they should start businesses to employ employ poor people, um, you know, and and maybe just initially without even a view of profits, like let's, let's try to do stuff. So there are all sorts of creative ways in which we can endeavor to help people that are not focused on giving them what they need for the moment, but are instead focused on a longer term development of them as human people.
1: I love the end of your um, essay. And it made me think that even God's justice is surpassed by his mercy, because we all as humans who have sin in our origin, we deserve to die, we deserve hell, and yet that's right he had he has a quality in himself that is higher than justice, and that is mercy mm-hmm. and because of that mercy, he allowed his son to die for something he did not deserve, but we did. And therefore he created this incredible and glorious future for those of us who choose to accept this sacrifice. And I think that um, as Christians, and we can't expect that from a non-Christian because it's completely contrary to the uh, human nature, but um, above seeking justice, I think, we should strive to exercise mercy, Christ like mercy, um, on the people who maybe don't even deserve justice, but they deserve our mercy because we receive mercy from God. And I think that um this is probably the guideline <laughs> for our you know, performing or seeking justice um in the world where there is no justice.
0: That's yes, and so in thinking about loving one's neighbor and the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan does not pull out his laptop and do an Excel spreadsheet to try to figure out, okay, what does justice require? And when Jesus says who was a neighbor to the man who was beset by robbers, what's the one who had mercy on him? And so, the yes, I, I, I agree that Mercy should be uh, a beautiful component of a Christian's response to a broken world.
1: Well, thank you so much for this interview, and uh, I think that uh, it's a very important subject. There is still so much to think about. I'm probably going to go back and reread the essay, and I'm going to post a link to it in the show notes so that our listeners could enjoy it as well. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you again so much, and uh Best of luck to you in your endeavor.
0: Great. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me.
1: There's hardly anything more frustrating than seeing injustice that you're not able to stop or prevent. The more one is in love with God, the more this person gravitates towards justice and desires to see justice prevail. And yet, even the best justice system in the world has its limitations. The higher justice, however, the sublime justice of the kingdom of God is more than just punishing wrong or preventing evil. The kingdom justice is benevolent and redemptive. It seeks the good of all. It offers the good to all. The greatest injustice in the world is the fact that heaven is available to all, but not everyone will make it there. If you are interested in the work that we do here at World Missions Alliance in sharing the gospel, helping those in need, and building the kingdom of God, or if you would like to register for our upcoming conference, uh, the Greater Purpose Conference, I encourage you to visit our website, rfwma.org, for more information. There you can find out how you can become involved, how you can discover your greater purpose, and also, Um, How to uh, come and be with us at the Greater Purpose Conference March 30th, 31st and April 1st in Branson, Missouri. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Limitless Spirit Podcast. Until next time, I'm Helen Todd.
0: Limitless Spirit Podcast is produced by World Missions Alliance. We believe that changed lives, change lives. If you want to see your life transformed by Christ's love, or if you want to help those who are hurting and hopeless and discover your greater purpose in serving Christ through short-term missionary work, check out our website, rfwma.org, and find out how to get involved.